Hey there, Friday Night Movie fans. This week, we have an incredible episode of the Friday Night Movie podcast for you. It's so jam-packed with content that we actually have to divide it into two. The amazing Esther Kostanowicz, author, writer, journalist, joined us. She's an expert on representation of Jewish people in the media and, in general, an expert on covering pop culture. And she was kind enough to join us for almost two full hours. In this first hour, we tackled the horrific events that took place in Texas over the weekend, the hostage situation at the Beth Israel Synagogue, and we talked about our own personal reactions to it. Then we talked a little bit about pop culture, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll get into part two. And then in part two, which will drop on Friday at our usual time, you'll have more discussion and much of the usual pop culture shenanigans as we continue the conversation with Esther we had a lot of fun chatting with her. She was extremely generous with her time. You should also check out her podcast, The Bagel Report. She hosts with Aaron Ben Moshe, which tackles a lot of great issues around Jewish identity and Jewish representation in media. And uh, again, we are so grateful to her for joining our show this week. I'm so excited to present to you part one of our two-part episode with Esther Kostanowicz. Enjoy. Here we are, and welcome to, I think, a very Jewish episode of the Friday Night Movie Podcast. I mean, every episode of the Friday Night Movie Podcast is pretty Jewish, but every once in a while, uh, we really dig into our peoplehood, and today we're going to do it. We have an amazing guest with us. We have Esther Kostanowicz, journalist, writer, communicator extraordinaire, and host of The Bagel Report, which is an outstanding podcast. If you're following me on social media, I was introduced to it recently, and I'm absolutely in love with it. Esther, we're, we're introducing you up front because we're dropping you right into the family, right into the cockpit of Thank the family. Thank you. That means a lot to me. My family's far away, and so it means a lot to me to be able to be connected with another family that's also far away. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we are. Well, we, we, we already love having you. Uh, nice. I, feel like you I feel like I know you, um, not only because you know the great Leah Jones of mm. Finding Favorites fame, uh, and flow low, but yes, best name ever, best name ever. But your podcast is, is I think like the voice of our people. I didn't know. I didn't know how much it was until I listened to it. So people got to wow. listen to the podcast. Wow. Oh yeah. It's awesome. The voice of our people is severely underpaid, but thank you. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of our, one of our mottos on the Friday night movie podcast and the podcasting world in general is you got to spend money to lose money. So yes. That's relatable. It's, it's it's only, it's it's about passion. Um, But what we are here to going to, we're going to kick off with today is something quite serious. We usually promise you nothing timely or serious on the Friday night movie podcast. This is being taped on um, Monday, uh, Martin Luther King day. Um, uh, Also, also we're to be shot. So this is an auspicious day in a lot of ways, but it is also two days after. Which is the... like Earth Day for Jews. Oh, yeah, it's Jewish Earth Day. Sorry, that's that's too much, yeah. just to sum it up quickly. Uh, this is also two days after the horrific standoff hostage incident in Texas at the Beth Israel Synagogue. And we want to 
take a little take a moment and again having uh, esther with us who is an expert uh, it is really incredible an expert on the jewish world i'm labeling you i hope that's okay is that a good title for you um sure i mean you know uh, jews we're complicated people so like just when you think there's you're an expert on something something oh. crazy happens and nobody's an expert anymore it's like the internet exactly but, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of yes we're, we're i guess we're all experts um so we have esther with us and and it's it's um uh we're lucky to have her on this day because we're going to take a moment to just react and talk about uh what happened in texas and then segue that into a conversation about jews and pop culture because everyone came here to listen to us talk about pop culture i want to start with becky though i want to turn to becky first because in our own family discussion becky had a great observation of something a dear friend of ours posted and i'd love it becky if you could just reflect on that so our so dear friend of the podcast and of the family noah allen the the morning after the the hostage situation he he posted on his Instagram uh, a photograph of of you can tell he's davening and it just, he's praying. Davening means praying. Means praying. Um and, and and essentially saying that thankfully this morning we're not saying the mourners Kaddish, but we're able to say this other prayer and the prayer is essentially it's it's thanking God for who who sets captives free set cap sets captives free. Um, and I just, I was really impacted by Noah's post. It's something I've been thinking about a lot the last few days. That a mourner's cottage would be a prayer that you would say for somebody who died. Someone who dies and, and someone did die. The, the, the hostage taker, the terrorist did die. So it's not like there were no deaths in the situation, but we, we are, I think, I mean, I'm feeling very, very lucky that um, none of the, as a community that, um, that we are able to instead, you know, take a moment of reflection and be thankful that, that they were freed ultimately, or that they freed themselves. Uh, I think that's from what I understand from hearing more about the story. So thank you, Noah, actually, for sharing that, uh, that post and that prayer. Yeah, that to me, I'm glad that's, I mean, it's still a horrifying set of events, but I'm glad that's what we're reflecting on first. Um, is gratitude for folks being freed. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, it still sucks that someone died. I, I think so. Um, mm-hmm. That That's something that 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 stood with me. Lily, how, how did you feel about that incident? You live in, we live in a country, Esther, Shai, and Becky, surrounded by Jews. You are in an island in the middle of the ocean in Spain where Jews were kicked out 500 years ago. You don't run into a lot of Jews. A synagogue being attacked isn't even on the radar. Right. I would say like, there's, it's a blessing and a curse blessing being that you don't like get bombarded with like nasty comments or media about it being stuff like, well, it wasn't a Jewish issue. Like if this wasn't about Jews and like stuff like in, in this media um, and, you know, maybe people not, you know, being careless on, on social media and stuff. However, it's also not on anyone's radar. And so I think, I think that makes it, I think it's in a good way, which is like, it's sad that that's good. And it's also sad that it's not on people's radar here, but it's also, you know, I don't, it it may have been in the Spanish news. It probably, I wouldn't be surprised if it was. And I don't think that anybody I know saw it. I know that the people that know me, had they seen it would have reached out. So it's not like the non-Jews that I'm friends with are, are not 
you know, caring, empathetic people. That's not the issue here. It's just probably not even, you know, on anyone's radar, which is often, yeah, I think, yeah, like I said, blessing and decides can be nice to not have to answer for it or explain it all the time and have to deal with that. But it's also like, oh, nobody's aware of like this awful thing that's happening right now in real time. And then already happened and passed and it was never on anyone's, you know, not going to like send out a blast on WhatsApp about it. So it's, it's isolating, but honestly, with the way things can be so toxic online, I, at the, I'm at the point where I don't really mind being alone with this because I have you guys and the people in the U S and I don't need any other like negative, like crap to deal with. But, you know, while you've, you know, given me the spotlight, I will say that you, you know, or, or do you want to just go around and then you'll maybe, maybe I'll go around, leave us yeah. in suspense. Sorry. Esther, how about suspense. you? How about you? You, you are a Jewish person, but you also cover the Jewish world professionally. I am a Jewish person and I do cover the Jewish world professionally. Yeah. I uh, look, there's, there's a lot of levels to an event like this. And the first one is obviously like emotional and shock. Um, and you know, just the, the way it unfolded, in such an elongated fashion over the course of 10 hours um, and mm. the incessant media coverage of basically nothing for those 10 hours, right. um, which I often come, you know, I'm really grateful to live in a, a world where I can know that things are happening, but I also resent the um, expectation that, um, that news media need to constantly replay the same footage over and over again, which it became, I, I don't know if, if you were watching CNN, but they had the same footage of people getting out of the bus and doing a fist bump. There was like these two guys who came out of the SWAT bump, a SWAT, of its SWAT team vehicle. One of them met the other one and they did a fist bump and then they just like went and did whatever they needed to do. But I thought it was such a weird little moment, this fist bump that I started noticing when it looped back um, and they looped the footage. And there was like maybe like six or seven images from outside of the synagogue that you just kept showing over and over again. Um, and for me, like, you know, I don't have necessarily any association with these spaces. I know there's something terrible going on, but I was reminded of, uh, of when uh, 9-11 happened and they kept reshowing the the towers falling over and over again and the 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 information loop that even if you know it's not happening over and over again it's like creating a cycle of media induced trauma um and so that was part of the experience yesterday um another uh, uh, the day before yesterday um uh, but another thing that i was also um struck by is that um Rabbi Charlie Citroen Walker, um, who is the rabbi who was held hostage um, and who, according to several accounts, actually was the person who liberated himself and the hostages before the terrorist died. Um, and so I, I was also struck the way uh, by the fact that in my social media spaces, a lot of people were talking about how they knew him. And I didn't know, I don't know him, um, but he and I have 30 friends in common. And so, wow. and I saw how his, um, his situation also was impacting people that I know and drawing that connective link between a, a synagogue in Texas that I don't, where I don't know anyone um, to my heart in Los Angeles and my network and how it created an impact. Um, so which is the very, very essence of, of Jew, like, like, like that's the very essence yeah. of being Jewish. 
Right. I feel yeah, like a, that. Yeah. It's, it is it really social media does engage, does engage our instinct to play Jewish geography, which I have said on my podcast before that, like, I feel like that instinct goes all the way back to Anatevka um, <laughs> when, you know, which obviously not being a real place, but, um, but in town and fiddler on the roof. Yeah. Right. And Fiddler on the Roof, when the spoiler alert, uh, they're forced to leave their village in Eastern <laughs> Europe. Um, and some one of them is going to Chicago, America, and the other one is going to New York, America. And he says, congratulations, we'll be neighbors, you know, because the idea is that those two places in America, which is so far away, are close together, even though it's Chicago and New York. So I, I love that uh, social media connects us and enables us to say, oh, uh, you're a Jew in Texas, America. I'm a Jew in Los Angeles, America. Doesn't mean we don't know people in common, which I think is a remarkable, like, uh, a remarkable thing to be able to acknowledge and be part of. And it links you um, on a more, on a a deeper basis. And I think that the social media reaction is something that, especially in the days of the pandemic, right? We've all been at home. There's... Not that you, we'd be able to go down to Texas, not that we'd be able down to Texas, but but we're all sort of locked in and watching everything unfold and digitally a lot of the time. And in addition to the horror and the personal trauma, right? This is a fear that I think every Jewish person lives with all the time, that something could happen to your synagogue, that your synagogue's a soft target, your house is a soft target. This is something that I've been nervous about. Uh, and especially if you've traveled outside of the United States, the United States, we've been really lucky. We don't have armed guards at our synagogue, but having been to synagogues in Guatemala, in France. Or in Spain, you don't, they Spain. just, you, they just like normal buildings. Yeah, there's you no have to get markings. Like there was nothing, you would never know it's yeah. a synagogue. So you have to, you know, we have to give your passports in advance to go to the one in Guatemala. And, and so that sanctity, that safety bubble ha- is, has been breaking. And this was one of those frightening moments, like the Tree of Life and not not the same as the Tree of Life in Pittsburgh, right. one of those moments that reminds you. The other piece that kept going on in my head and, and has been happening more and more is, is whether I want to or not, there is this inclination to look at how people are reacting, particularly famous people. And and I don't it's like know the popular right. kids at school. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's right or not, but I can't help but look and see, OK, which Jews are checking in. And because, as you said at the beginning, Esther, we've all got we're all experts in our own different way. What nuances is everyone coming at this about? Who's talking about this in terms of anti-Semitism? Who's talking about this in terms of thoughts and prayers, po- thoughts and prayers, <laughs> politics, uh, gun violence, gun laws? Mm-hmm. There's lots of different angles to see, but I would say like on our family WhatsApp chains, and I suspect many other Jewish family WhatsApp chains, there's a lot of screenshotting. Oh, look what so-and-so said. Yeah. And there is a comfort that I feel when someone says something that I feel like connects with me. Like there's this anxiety that my personal reaction might be some kind of an outlier because already well, yeah, because everything is right. But and also I feel like back to your original point. Or when you started talking about this point, you know, we're, we've been in this sort of tunnel and it's hard, like it, it, it's hard to gauge sometimes if our reaction is rational, reasonable, measured. And so 
every little thing might trigger you now, right? Because you've literally all been in this bizarre situation that involves us staring at our phones a lot of the time and in our own little world. And so any of the slightest little thing might like royally piss you off that maybe two years ago you would have not even thought about because you were so busy going out and doing all these other things. And so when something happens, it's sort of like, wait, hold on, I have to just, and it's happened to me with you guys. Wait, are they also upset about that? Is this something to be upset about? Because I could be upset about everything. And so not that celebrities tell us what we can and can't be upset about. However, we, the three of us, look generally to pop culture for a lot of answers to things. Well, I think it's a it's a function of micro societies, right? And spheres of influence. So like the three of you are like a micro society, like within and then within your own family. And then that's like the macro society. But still, there's reason to believe that members of a family might feel or react similarly uh, to something, not same, but similarly, um, because you grew up with similar influences. So, um, there's every reason to believe that that might happen, but the question of, you know, the celebrities who have self-identified as Jewish in a major and public way, we look to them as our, the most famous members of our family that we never see. They don't call, they don't write, but, uh, <laughs> but we follow what they do. You know, we follow, Oh, we're very proud of them. We're very proud of Josh Molina, you know, like, but we don't, we, we may have never met him, but like, we are proud of the things that he's doing uh, to represent Judaism in the world. We don't always necessarily agree everything he says all the time, but we appreciate the honesty of his process of identifying as Jewish in a public sphere, um, especially in the Hollywood like ecosystem. So I think that all of that is part is part of what we're looking for. And when we're really looking to uh, as social beings, like be in a in a space that we feel safe, especially after uh, having had a safe space like a synagogue invaded. And if that's not a safe space, then let's let's kind of like uh, regroup and circle the wagons, as I think they used to do in the olden times, um, and just mm -hmm. say, this is, these are our people. What do we think? You know, how are we reacting to this? How are we processing the trauma? How are we putting it into context in an overall world that's pretty broken and has a lot of hatred in it? And where do we fit into that picture? Um, and also because, you know, we could get into a whole uh, intersectionality conversation uh, where we can talk about like, uh, or we can talk about um, David Baddiel's book about um, about Jews don't, um, Jews don't count or uh, 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 Horn. Um, uh, oh, I forgot her first name. Uh, Dara uh, Dara Horn's um, uh, People Love Dead Jews. You know the idea of like where do we fit into this conversation on hate crimes if we are not being oppressed because necessarily of the color of our skin um, and because we have this. Um, or because of sexual orientation or gender identity or any of the reasons that people have hate crimes perpetrated against them. And to, at what point are we allowed to say anti-Semitism is still a problem and there is still anti-Jewish sentiment and we don't like that and we don't want it to exist just because we don't, also don't want these other kinds of hatred to exist. And uh, if we say anything about that, then inevitably there's, um, there's a, a like a disconnect um, for some people who are saying, well, Jews aren't the same, uh, aren't suffering the same as other people who are suffering. And the goal should really be nobody is suffering because of who they are, what they look like, how they, how they believe, how they love, you know, any of those things, unless what you love is, uh, 
is white supremacy. I have zero tolerance policy for that. But, um, you know, I think that Agreed. there's a lot Agreed. of confusion about where we fit into this conversation about about hate crimes. Um, and I think but you're seeing that with the, the conversation around who this guy was and what he was and wasn't saying that he had no problem right. with Jews. Like he just wanted this person who had a problem with Jews freed. So like, what does that mean? And he and used Jews the parsing to try to of the reaction get a synagogue, of right? <laughs> right, that of right. all the places he could have picked. And, and the parsing, and, 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 and I think that's something that, I think that's something that we, we feel is that the picking of the synagogue isn't in a vacuum. It's not random. It's part of a drip, and, drip, drip. And, and, but I feel like we could talk about this for hours so, and hours. So I'm going to, so Esther, before you. We, yes. Before, oh, so before we, I don't know if we were planning to move on, but if before we move on, I also just want to point out that, um, that Rabbi Citron Walker has been really modeling um, what it means to be um a presence who is devoted to generosity of spirit and um, and community building throughout this whole thing. I mean, I don't know if you've seen, there was a CBS interview with him where I, I posted on my Facebook if you want to see it, but um, it, it was really a remarkable picture of somebody who has been through trauma and is still processing that trauma as he's being asked to relive it on TV. Um, but still managed to end with a message of gratitude, um, both to the community and to the um, and to the Muslim and Christian members of the community who had come out in support of him because and in support of the community, which is itself devoted to these kinds of interfaith conversations and and connections. And I thought that that was really really beautiful. Um, and I'm really worried for him. <laughs> like, I really want him to get some help because I feel like it's too soon to just be jumping back into this trauma. But I think that the fact that he was able to model this right. kind of, I, um, I didn't even look approach. for an interview. Yeah. I didn't even, I, look for I read interview. about the interview and you know, when you said your point is excellent because I've also read that, that in several sources where they used hostages in quotation marks, that diminishes what this man went through, but and and he, just because you survive a hostage situation and you're Jewish, I guess, doesn't mean you weren't a hostage. So, yeah. it, you know, I I hope that he can move, like you're saying, can and the, I was very impressed. I read about the interview and I didn't get to watch it, but I read about it and I was like, wow, how well spoke? Like, what media training does this guy have that he's so well spoken after? probably like well, anybody would be blubbering. I guess he is. That's the good media training, but he's, but he's, you know, so well-spoken and, and eloquent and clearly going through something horrible. And I was like, well, I hope that doesn't make people think it, it's not a big deal in a weird way, because it is very much a big deal. And you don't get to put hot that, that shy. You had asked, like, was there something that bothered you or whatever about how people have reacted to this? That's the thing that's like majorly bothered me is that hostages is in quotation marks because, you know, we should at least for the people who went through this, treat it as serious as it was. Well, I think that there's a, uh, it happens a lot with media coverage um, where people uh, will circulate an article without reading it, um, where people will look at a headline and think they know the whole story, uh, where people will read an interview and they view it the same thing as if they've seen it with their own eyes. And it's not, it's not equivalent. Like I, I've read interviews with, with him, with rabbi. And until I saw this interview, I was like, I was like, holy crap. 
um, like the, the impact of this is still so fresh. And I, I started, I started crying when I was watching him in the video and I'm like tearing up just thinking about it now. Um, and that doesn't really happen to me when I watch, you know, footage of people who are, you know, at a con a concert where there was a, a gunman, like, you know, after that Las Vegas shooting, they interviewed people. And I, I don't know, like, I, I think part of it is obviously the Jewish connection is making me feel more rooted to it. Um, but I think that it's important to witness it with your own eyes. So you don't just, doesn't just get swept up in the, um, in the flotsam and jetsam of the, uh, of, of media today. Um, there's just so much content and, um, the, there was a the comment also about the FBI uh, saying that it, it wasn't ra- it wasn't like racially it wasn't uh, Jewishly motivated or anti-Semitism right. wasn't I the mean, motivation. How could that even be and remotely? It was like, yeah, right. That's been how, going around. And, and I mean, what that's they, so yeah. deeply hurtful. So, so, so Esther, this is deeply personal for you. I you've made the decision to also make part of your career or your career covering Jewish issues, covering Jewish issues in the media. How, what, what drives you to do that? How do, how do you get back up and do it? Because it, it, it's tugging on, it tugs on it in a personal way that covering something more abstract maybe doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, part of it is just being, knowing when to be a coward and not to cover something that's really like super uh, personal to me, but sometimes, um, Sometimes it's about talking to people who aren't being heard or whose opinions aren't being represented, but who are very involved in it. Um, sometimes it's about me, um, you know, just in a self-indulgent moment, but also like, you know, trying to process the way I feel about something like doing a cultural analysis or um, trying to read some meaning into what's happened or how do we move forward in a positive way from here? Um, you know, I, I, over the course of my career, it's something that I've really relied on my writing to help me process everything that has been challenging for the Jewish community over the last, you know, whatever it is, 20 years. So I've, um, you know, I remember feeling it acutely after 9-11, um, which I don't know uh, how much any of you remember about 9-11, but um, we're, we're old. Yeah, well, we're, you know, we it's were, all relative. We're, we, were we're fully, all, we were fully we were all ad- fully formed adults right. when that happened. Adults when it when okay. it happened. Well, I never like to assume how old anyone is I mean, I um, because I can nice, never tell nice by looking at them. That, yeah. But also my I have my a youthful sense, glow. It's confusing. Yes, as, for as do we all. Yes. <laughs> it's it's the it's the podcast glow. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the faces for radio. Um, but I I uh I, you know, when I, I, I was in New York, uh, on nine 11. And so like processing what it was like in New York, the weeks after nine 11, like that was something that I did in writing. Um, and because it also happened the same week that Rosh Hashanah was happening. Um, mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of, you know, kind of sermonic sermonic, uh, processing of it for by Sermons? rabbis. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. I was like sermonaic, sermoniacal sometimes, um, <laughs> But, you know, rabbis, <laughs> rabbis were processing it in sermons. And I was like, well, that's not fair. They get to process it and have people tell them that they're right on right. or whatever. Like, I want to do that, too. So I started writing about, like, the Book of Life and what it means in a year when this this image of the Book of Life that comes around for the high holidays and what that means when, you know, so many people lost their lives in such a horrible way in, a min- in an instant. Um, and there's so many circles of grief. So, like you know, all of those things were things I managed to like be able to, um, to 
to process in writing. Um, in terms of the, the stuff that I cover, that's not personal in that same way. Um, I like to share stories of people who are engaging in Jewish uh, life and meaning in unusual ways um, and who are um, engaging creatively in what their Jewish identity is and not just accepting this is what we do because it's the way we've always done it. And they tried to kill us and we survived and let's eat. (laughs) Sorry. What? That sounds like my life needing to be creative about Judaism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) those of us who live in major metropolitan Jewish centers don't need to be as creative probably as somebody who lives in an Island named after birds. Um, So like, (laughs) you know, I think uh, in a way, like I went from living in New York to living in Los Angeles, and that's not a really huge difference in terms of having an active Jewish community, having more shuls than anyone could uh, throw a bagel at, you know, like all of those things. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I know that I'm I'm speaking from a point of privilege on many fronts, um, but I still feel like the institutionalized Jewish community uh, needs to relax its boundaries a little bit and, uh, and be more inclusive, um, whatever that means in a particular organization, um, and really provide a, an on-ramp for Jewish engagement and meaning rather than a a closed door. And that's something that I've always been interested in covering and being part of as a movement. So I'm going to come back to the beginning and say, if you want an on-ramp, to engage in Jewish things, everybody, well, not everybody, but anyone who's listening to this podcast likes TV and likes movies, or maybe you hate them, but you like listening to us talk about them. I guess there's some people who are like that too. The Bagel Report, and then TV Gone Jewy is a Facebook group that I've, is that the, is that what it exists as, or is it a larger organization? Yeah, I can tell you everything. Yeah. Okay, cool. Tell us everything, question? but those are great on-ramps to engage, oh, that's sort of like my statement before the question is, those are great on-ramps to engage Jewishly and, and find a way into connecting. Esther, you created these. What are they? What are they about? What do you, what, what, do you, what, what, yeah, tell us about them. Okay. Um, thanks for asking. I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you found them both. Um, I have to say that TV Gone Jewy pre-exists the Bagel Report by several years. Um, it was a project, it was just like a like an internal term for me, myself, and I to talk about the appearance of Jewish content on TV um, and a little bit in movies, but like, you know, obviously TV Gone Jewy, so it's TV. Um, but I was noting that there were a number of um of content creators and um, and TV shows that seem to feature Jews in more prominent and more meaningful, uh, nuanced roles than just kind of like Dr. Goldstein. We can't wish you a happy Merry Christmas because you're Jewish. So happy Hanukkah <laughs> to you! And like nobody even talks about it. They just like point at a menorah in the corner, and then that's the that's the Jewish the content. Menorah, the menorah under the tree. Yes, exactly. That really aggravates me. Yeah, because you don't want to light light something and put it under a tree. That seems like a bad idea. Um, but I know they mostly use the electronic electric menorahs for that, but still. Um, so yeah, I think that I was noticing it coming up more and more frequently um, and was interested when it did so, when, when it did come up in a more meaningful environment uh, than just like a throwaway line. Um, and I also noticed that there are things happening with, with Hebrew and Yiddish, um, you know, while of course, you know, everybody can say schmuck 
uh, people say right, chutzpah. Right. Um, those were kind of like the the baseline words. But then it became kvetch, which is harder to say because people say kvetch, um, make it mm. two syllables. Um, mm, there was throwing a, a dianu, no. and you really That's got my right. attention. That's right. Okay, I yes, I have a Becky. I have a I we haven't heard Becky TV. speak a lot. I, I, know, well, I, I, I hear well, Becky. I'm, you know, I'm very Becky fast and very absorbed post, in what you're saying. Becky is also the the gutsiest member of this team because oh i i heard the penguin story i i know i know what's happening yeah, going to mug is. people for their inflatable penguins to help them stain on a rink right? Lil, lily's missed episodes for for sickness and surgery Becky i had has, COVID, not surgery the only time i missed an episode was when i got the real covid right, the original the OG one. COVID. but let's be fair right. becky becky has surgeries i've done through one, multiple surgeries has more than once recorded an episode gone to the hospital had a c-section back for That's the next true. episode i had i had surgery two weeks ago but i'm 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 actually mostly fascinated in what you're saying uh so i'm 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 riveted i feel more like an audience member today but oh. i do have a a tv gone Jewy thing that has been on my mind nonstop for like several months now i brought it to the family to the family chat. We had a whole family chat discussion about it. I'm looking through your Facebook page and I, I don't know if it's on there, but I maybe you can direct me to where there's a post explaining it to me. On the show, The Expanse, one of the main characters, Amos, has a tattoo that's obviously Hebrew letters. What is it? What is it? We like my my dad who you know and brother yeah. who both speak Hebrew like tried to translate it, but we couldn't tell what the last letter was. We had all these a lot debates of the about says it. It's a mistranslation. Like, like it's it's kind of hard. Like to... What is going on? Why does he have that tattoo? Or it's is it great... the actor that has it? That's a that's a great question. Those are both great yeah. questions. I don't watch The Expanse, but and nobody has Neither brought that to I my attention. So this is no one, but this is what I'm saying. TV John gone doing news. Oh, there God. is. Breaking That's news, right. Breaking you can, TV gun you can be a cub reporter for Sir TV Gun Chewy News. So <laughs> okay, I'm going to the I'm gonna send you a exists. screen capture of his tattoo. Like the first time I think I saw it appear. I mean, not right now. We're in the middle of recording, but I will send it to you and we, we will have to investigate we'll, this We'll further. have words about it. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that that's, that's one of the categories of, of TV Ganjui really is this, these uh, tattoos, the, the tattoos that seem to appear mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And what do they mean? And often in mystical kinds of environments, uh, narrative environments, like you had it in, in Grimm and in uh, Sleepy Hollow, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like they're uh, constantly and uh, the legend, legends of tomorrow and all like there were either uh, holy, you know, kind of like uh, mystical books that had Hebrew in them or tattoos that had Hebrew letters and characters. Oh, Supernatural had a bunch of, you know, so like anytime that there's like any kind of uh, supernatural show, um, there's often Hebraic overlap or a golem shows up or, you know, just <laughs> a dibuk. Uh, so like, I mean, these are, these are classical kind of Jewish elements that show up in these, uh, procedurals that are exploring a certain world and they can only do so much Wicca stuff, I suppose. Um, uh, you know, there's gotta be other, you know, voodoo and hoodoo and like all of the mystical arts from all of the various traditions. And that includes Judaism. Um, what's interesting to me is when it actually does reflect something real and it's explained, um, there's an episode of, um, I think it's one of the crossover episodes of the CW, uh, DC shows, which I don't know if any of you watch, but I, I, I'm the only one. Guy, in the family you're the who one could, who, okay. could, who could do it. 
There's only there's always one. I, I will um, say I dropped off at one of the crises on infinite multiple backwards earths because it was too many shows to watch. But right. I did watch the first four or five years of The Flash. So whatever was going on. In right. The years. So there was an, a crossover. It was a crossover episode. I think it was technically on Arrow. Um, but a bunch of the main characters were missing and the side characters were trying to figure out where they were. Um, this is this is a really weird little clip that's on YouTube that I can share with you. Um, and it's one I can't stop talking about where um, <laughs> one of the people is looking at the screen and trying to figure out like what the code means and um, then, then that character is Jewish and another Jewish character comes over and says it's gematria, uh, which is Jewish numerology. <laughs> and he explained, and somebody goes, is that Ragman and Felicity smoke? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Both two very Jewish characters. Right. So it's like two Jews having a conversation where one of them says, oh, it's this Jewish thing. And the other one says, of course, how could I not see that? Um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, of course. Naturally, Gamatria is like the most, you know, it's totally a giveaway. Um, but, you know, he explained what Gamatria is. And um, and then people are like, oh, are you saying it's like based in the land in 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 this language of the Talmud and the Bible? And so it's like this whole thing of explaining what gematria is. And I thought it was super weird because I grew up with going to a day school, having a day school education. And I guarantee you, when I got to Rutgers, if I had said the word gematria to any of my Jewish friends, they would have not known what I was talking about. So I think yeah, that like yeah. those opportunities to like bring in Jewish concepts and then kind of dig down into them and say, well, this is what it is. And this is what is classically meant. And then of course they used it in a completely crazy context to, you know, <laughs> that it translated to geolocating, uh, coordinates, coordinates and help them find their friends. But like, you know, it was like a really weird little moment. And so I always like those weird little moments when they come up, um, because there's like an insider speak to it. Um, but there's also kind of an opportunity to, um, to share something about Jewish tradition, whether it's, you know, mystical or interpretive or literal, you know, or uh, performative, you know, a mitzvah, a value, something, you know, I think all of those are opportunities to create more meaning for the characters and more depth for those characters, as opposed to them just being a Jewish character being like, I celebrate Hanukkah, sorry, no Christmas for me. You know, it's just like, I think, I think that there's, there's more. I, there's yeah. more and mm -hmm. it lets those characters be more, it lets those actors be more, even if they're not Jewish. And I think, um, that's a whole, we could transition to that. Like uh, that's, that's the whole situation well, about, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so actors, so actors being Jewish and non-Jewish, I'm going to come to that later. What I want to yes. come to first is you talked about these awesome little moments. I love those little moments because I feel like when one of those moments ends up back to what Lily was saying, it feels like, Oh, the cool kids are talking about it. All right. We're, we're, and, and I think that's, right. that's the story of representation, right? You see yeah. yourself. And I think you were saying this on the bagel report the other day, you know, you see yourself in the thing and then you see it, you can be it, right? You see it. And then you feel like it is, it's real. It's not weird or, or that it's okay for people to learn about it. Were, were you yeah. saying that? I think you were saying. Yeah. That and in some ways it's, it's similar. Although, you know, I always, uh, I always hesitate when I make this comparison, but it's a little bit similar to the conversation about uh, about our representation as Jews in the conversation about hate crimes um, is kind of similar to our conversation about the visibility of Jewish characters in a in a medium that is 
not as diverse as it should be and needs more diversity. So um, it's part of the larger representation conversation where I want a TV landscape that's filled with all kinds of stories, not just Jewish ones. And I, for me, obviously, it's interesting to see Jews portrayed in a, a range of uh, in a range of contexts and as a range of, you know, uh, good guys, bad guys, neutral people, annoying people, attractive people, like whatever the story is, the problem is that sometimes it's balanced toward one end uh, and not the, and not the positive one. Um, and so there's a lot of people who are very nervous about any representation of Jews on TV. Um, and that's a legacy that was really kind of forged by early Hollywood, um, where, you know, there were a lot of Jewish people who were involved in creating the Hollywood that we know today, but they were also very intent on many, uh, diminishing their Judaism in any possible way. Um, and, and, and not by the way, for fun, it's because that was a function of society at the time. This wasn't, they were randomly ashamed of being Jewish, right? They, or is that, is that a good, well, is that a part of it? I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a very complicated, um, thing and I haven't done the research to be able to state with absolute authority, but my understanding is that there were many people who were very nervous about being in a prominent position, especially one that was financing a major industry. Cause that's, you've got the finance Jews and you've got the mm -hmm. media Jews in like one handy little stereotype. Um, and, right. and those stereotypes happened. existed before Hollywood, they were being right. peddled and used to mm -hmm. burn down our villages for a really long time. Right. Um, but when they were in video village, like uh, that's a, that's a, that's a, Hollywood term. Um, but anyway, there, there's Becky's a our Hollywood sister. She understood. Oh, okay. So Becky gets it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but I think that like, you know, that's one of the reasons you have, you know, uh, Metro Goldwyn mayor mayor and, you know, Louis B mayor and like the, all of, all of the people who like changed their names or made it more, um, Americanized, uh, and lived lives that were really completely separated from the Jewish community. Um, it all happened like in the thirties and forties when it was very precarious in the world to be Jewish and you didn't necessarily want to call attention to it. Um, and so I think that that's part of the history, um, of Hollywood. Um, and it's actually to, to make it more topical, um, which I know you said you generally don't do here. Um, there's been a lot of criticism of the new Academy museum in Los Angeles that, um, were, that it doesn't include a lot of Jewish content. Um, so, uh, and I noticed it when I went there with my co-host from the bagel report Aaron Ben Moshe, and she and I went to, to see what was up there. And we're like, where are the Jews? Like, what's going on? Like, why aren't we talking about the, the, the Jews? Why aren't we talking about the fact that like for years and years, um, every time there was a Holocaust movie nominated for an Academy Award, it won. Like, cause you couldn't ignore the Holocaust. Like that was not gonna, you know. So like there was, there were, they had, you know, uh, Steven Spielberg accepting for Schindler's List. Um, but, you Will know, other- like Leave out Carl Lemley- yeah, and, and you don't those... hear anything about the theater chains. You don't hear anything about the studio heads. There's nothing about that. And maybe they're just afraid to go there. Um, but it was it was it was definitely balanced toward uh, not balanced, but it was definitely weighted toward trying to balance diversity in uh, in in terms of black contributions, Latin Latinx contributions. Um, there was a big exhibit on that's a good on, thing. Al, that's a good Almod thing, right? Almodovar. All great things. Uh, yeah, Almodovar. Um, which I think I just pronounced like a Hebrew, uh, <laughs> like that's how Lily pronounces it. She says his name all the time, <laughs> right? 
Almodovar. Um, and <laughs> then there was a Spike Lee section. And then there was something about um, like Me Too and um, moving I ahead. See, we see what you're saying by doing so, that, though. Those ironically, are all good things, by the way. Those are all good things. Easy. But if, if it's uh, ironically, it kind of is ignoring a major part of the story. Yeah. Not yeah. But they're like, so, that's fine. We put Steven Spielberg in there. That right. represent <laughs> that we got it. <laughs> and they're also yeah, like check, playing check. this, playing this little game that happens. Also, there's a Grammys museum in, in Los Angeles too. Um, but in the Grammys museum, they're like, won't cover anything that hasn't won a Grammy. So this was a, the Academy Award Museum. So it's like, it's like, it's not about like Rachel Bloom or uh, Alana and Abby from Broad City, uh, first of all, because they're TV, but also because they haven't won Oscars. So like, you know, that's 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 been uh, that's been something that's been interesting. Um, that, so we, we talk about these representations. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I cut you. Yeah, off. I was just wanted to loop back to just kind of say um because uh, I started talking about TV Gone Jewy and then I didn't like segue into the bagel report. So I'll just say that uh, TV Gone Jewy started as kind of like an idea that I did at Limud conferences, which were Jewish education learning conferences, um, where I pointed out some various points where I, I thought it was interesting and people might not know that there was Judaism in these in these shows, um, not like curb your enthusiasm because like let's face it we all mm, are seriously. we're all aware yeah. we're aware he's yeah yeah nobody's hiding there um so and so then I started doing these sessions and then when the pandemic hit I started doing them online and I've done them for I've done about you know a dozen of them for various synagogues and JCCs across the country um and that's been really interesting to both like host this and also have the Q&A afterwards where people tell me about their favorite Jewish moments of representation um and then when uh, I met Erin at the when she and I were both writing at the Jewish Journal in Los Angeles, and we realized that we really need that there weren't a lot of women talking in this space about about Jewish culture and identity. So um, we created the Bagel Report, and we've now I think we just recorded today our 67th episode, which um, seems like a lot Muzzle to tub. me. Um, yeah, thank Way you. And today we were able to have Yael Galina on, who is the uh, writer of uh, the, the new Wonder Years Bar Mitzvah episode. We just talked about it. Just talking about it. Yeah, I'm just talking yeah, about so her you, and just talking about it. That's great. Yeah. So you can. Uh, the, oh, so when you said you had a pretty big interview, you did have a big interview, and then you're slumming it with our show. Yeah. Really no, no, no. I had that, and I had another interview this morning uh, for an article I'm writing. But anyway, yes. Yes, this is definitely slumming. I definitely feel like, you know, very high and mighty right now. Um, but yeah, I I mean these the those two projects are kind of related. And, you know, Becky used to ask me where if it was on the if the expanse was on that page. And the reality is I don't update either of those pages as much as I should because I'm busy trying to make a living because neither one of sure. those really was like right, you know, right. a big moneymaker for me. You need me. assistance to text I you. I so with, need assistance. With- with um pop culture jewish stuff that they see how old are your kids are do they want to be an intern oh my, i'd love my, to my, my kids are already wants, they're already interns for us my my 10 year old my five-year-old is, is a proud intern yeah. of this podcast oh yeah. she only shies it on the comic-con floor she works it on the comic-con floor but she is an Where aspiring is writer old? and you never know but i don't know if she's ready to do this i should one. maybe ask my nephews actually um, that's not a bad idea or put up, you um, know, like, or put a call out because there's so much content out there and I'm impressed. I'm so, I don't go to Facebook. I don't I want to intern Facebook, for but, the bagel report, but that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. I'm basically asking if we can be interns because I, <laughs> I did of course go to your page though. And it's amazing. 
Um, it's a good reason to go to Facebook. Um, with all those guests, <laughs> I found the one reason to go to Thanks. Facebook. Pretty. That's that's. The, if anybody's looking for the reason, that's the reason to go to Facebook. Um, and I thought, you know, gosh, how could she possibly cover all the content out there? And you know, you just basically need to put a call out for people to text you yeah. if they if they catch you know different sources. I just want to quickly say that I don't know if this happens to you. Does this happen to you guys where you get like a pop culture red herring? Where the other day I saw that Harry Styles has a Hebrew tattoo. Yeah. You're just like, oh my God, Harry Styles. And you like go down for like that five minutes on, on your phone of like, is Harry Styles Jewish? Right. And then right. you're like, oh no, he, he just has a Hebrew tattoo. Right. Harry Styles, David Beckham. Um, right. And I'm just, uh, I don't know. He, Re- Regina could, King. Are they, are they like yeah, into Kabbalism? Like what is he, it? Hebrew uh, tattoos. In some cases. Yeah, yeah. I, the first time I ever saw a Hebrew tattoo was a Jewish summer camp. It was. Same. Uh, woman uh, a little bit older than me very like prominent leader in the camp and she had come back from a year in israel with a big beautiful star of david on her back i know shoulder. exactly what yeah. you're talking about i think it was the and first with, tattoo with i saw on a jewish person too the first tattoo i'd ever seen mm-hmm. on a jewish person yep. and then a jewish symbol as a tattoo it you was think about it that our generation shocking. are the grandchildren of holocaust survivors Right, we're we're grandchildren. There's no one really in our generation that are children of Holocaust survivors that I know of, but grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, uh, where particularly aside from tattooing being against the religion's Mm -hmm. strict rules, the specific use of tattoos to number Jews before as they were being rounded up was an added humiliation. And I remember I was about 13 or 14 when this happened. So back in the must have been a little bit younger. And the discussion that around this, now you see it all the time, people tattooing their Hebrew names, I think is a certain maybe reclamation. I'm terrified to get a tattoo, so it's not my thing. But it's a little weird when a non-Jew is tattooing yeah. themselves. That's like yeah. a Jewish person. I well, get I'm it. just annoyed because I'm like, you made me think you were Jewish for a minute. God, but yeah, but I, I think for it's that. like a, when, when non-Jewish people get Hebrew letters tattooed to them or maybe a, a Jewish symbol tattooed to them. I just, I just, I just, it shows to me like the first thing I think of what, um, how deeply they do not understand our culture and the culture that they are marking on their body. Um, now that's Which not, would be the same, the truth. I I don't, that's not necessarily true. A Chinese I don't know these people or people right. writing in but Arabic. It is, on their it, body. that's what it signals to me on the other um, hand when someone has yeah. hebrew i'm like oh maybe they like jews that's good yeah <laughs> like, that is true i'm yeah a little a little ally signaling there. all right esther maybe. where do you come down yeah. on this so um i have probably have a couple of stories i do not have any tattoos i'm not planning to get any i mean i can barely decide what i want for lunch so i think like finding mm-hmm. my figure figuring out what i want to carry on my body for the rest of my life is like I'm much more likely to get those, uh, you know, those press on tattoos. Cause I think right. those are fun and then they're gone. Tem- temporary. Um, yes. Temporary. Um, so when I was blogging back in the day before podcasts and all that good stuff, um, I actually found a story about, um, I think it was Israeli grandchildren of Holocaust survivors who were tattooing their grandparents, Auschwitz numbers on their arms. Oh my God. So, um, as a way of tribute to Mm -hmm. them and to make sure that people don't forget. And this like threw the Jewish world into like craziness because, you know, this is maybe 
this is probably 20 years ago. Um, and it was like one of the most popular posts on my blog. Still people like comment on it. Like it's like, it's really, and it's not because of anything I wrote. It's just this idea of like, you're never supposed to forget the Holocaust, right? We all know that. Um, but what form does never forgetting mean? And for these grandchildren, they're like, I feel this so deeply. My grandparent is a part of me. And after they're gone, I want this to serve as a memory of what they went through. And they've been hearing all their lives, remember the Holocaust. And if they're, you know, secular kids who aren't necessarily thinking that, you know, tattooing isn't, 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 is, is fine to do. And if they're going to get like, you know, ACDC on their arm or like, you know, they're, why wouldn't you get EMA or like, you know, the tattoo, like all of these things, like if you're proud of something in, in a way, it's kind of like a, a more extreme, uh, and more extreme, uh, version of what kind of t-shirt messaging do you put on? Right. So, um, so are you going to be wearing the, the one that's the t-shirt that says, you know, um, uh, uh, fighting for peace is like <laughs> virginity, like, which was a, a, a an Israeli t-shirt for a while that the Americans used to come home with, um, federal booby inspectors, you know, the FBI, you know, like, what are you, what are you putting on? Like, what are you trying to say? Um, you know, and you know, an IDF t-shirt, like I, whatever you choose to put on your body, whether it's temporary or permanent, is sending a message. Um, mm. So the question I think is about the intent and like, what is the intent behind that message? And if the intent is pride, is the is the intent um, appropriation? Right, is it, exactly. Is it yeah. misappropriation? So not only taking something from another culture, but using it in a completely different, terrible context. Like, you know, right. I, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity there for, for parsing um, what might be an acceptable or unacceptable tattoo, um, in Jewish life. Um, there are places where but, it's still right. like anathema and people say, still say it's forbidden, but like, there's a lot of, a lot of more liberal, uh, sources are like, you know, you can do what you want. Um, it does seem like the general world has moved on, not the general world. I mean, again, the more traditional places, uh, it's still forbidden, but there seems to be a lot of more leeway in the less traditional Place. Plus Harry in, Styles. In, within a generation, plus Harry Styles. Hey there, friends and movie fans. That wraps part one of our episode with Esther Kostanowicz. The rest of the episode, part two, will drop on Friday at your usual time. Thank you for listening. You can follow me at Pancake and the Number Four Table on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Becky at Paper BK Princess. You can follow Lily at Chichi, C H I C H I K Gomez on Twitter. All the Friday Night Movie shenanigans at Friday Night Movie on Twitter and Instagram. FridayNightMoviePod.com. The theme song is by What Does It Eat? Thanks for listening. Lily shows up on time for the pod. It's a Shekhianu moment. <laughs>